Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now you can call 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, comments, or concerns? And Mr. Kelly. Yes, sir. How was Florida? It was beautiful. Was it? Oh, my goodness. It was 80 degrees every day. Wow. Perfect. Same weather every day. Perfect weather. Sunny. Uh, didn't even see any rain at all. Uh, the beach was awesome and just so nice. Yeah, and saw two great hockey games. So now you can see why so many people migrate in that direction. Yes, yes, I certainly can. And someday maybe we'll do that. <laughs> I'm not sure, but it, it's awfully nice. We like the the, uh, the the Gulf side. The Tampa area is really nice. Really? Stayed at, at Treasure Island, which is just north of St. Pete Beach. And it still has the kind of old touristy feel to it instead of being all real ultra modern, you know. And so that's kind of cool. It's in a nice little kind of cabana place, you know, nothing too fancy, but very nice. And yeah. So how thick is sand? Deep enough. <laughs> that's so it was for soft sure. to lay on? Or oh, did yeah. you lay in the sand or do you have a... We rented a chair, borrowed ah, a chair, used the chair, yeah. Right. But uh, yeah, just really nice. Listen to the hockey game on the beach. I mean, come on. Whoa. It could be better than, well, except for going to the game, but that's right. pretty nice. That's All right. Pretty nice, yes. Well, great. Well, welcome back. Well, thank you. It's good to be back. I didn't <clears> know if you were going to come back or not. Well, if I had a choice. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, brutal. Yeah. It's awfully nice. <laughs> believe me. Great. Well, thanks. And this is Saturday morning, folks. So we're going to get together and we're going to have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your backyard, your front yard, your side yard, your landscapes, your specialty garden space. A taste of the tropics, meaning your house plants or your tropical plants. And uh, where do you get good potting mix or what is potting mix as opposed to potting soil? How to improve your soil and your yard, your landscape, prunings, bugs, diseases, bugs and diseases. Well, Debbie Monterey say the bugs might be going away, but uh, it doesn't sound like diseases are going away anytime soon. And uh, you can use this information to make good decisions. Remember, my thoughts are strictly to orchestrate. And hopefully open and solidify some options and you can make the final judgment according to what is your exact situation. This is your show, by the way, and I appreciate you being there, being here and inviting me into your car, your home or wherever you are listening. And another important player in this game is Greg Harvey. He's here. He's producing again today. And Greg's always the one who will answer the phone, ask your name and where you're calling from. So... You can say hi to Greg, and he'd certainly appreciate that. I'm Mike Miller, by the way, and I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since its inception, 1994. And I've written five gardening books, two are currently available at various locations and on the Internet. And I do write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine, which comes out every two months. During the week, I do landscape consulting, and uh, it's a walk and talk. That's what I call it. 
If you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to www.mikemillerdesigns.com. The homepage will have my email and my phone number. And today, after the show, I'm headed out to Baldwin off Big Bend Road for a walk and talk. And uh, today's Good Gunning Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. The eastern sky begins to lighten just a little bit. And the powdered sugar snow highlights the ground. My car thermometer climbs a degree all the way up to 21. Wow. And uh, with Valentine's Day in the rear view mirror, Coming up next, Mardi Gras. All right. And the St. Louis Mardi Gras is centered in Soulard. So a stop by the Soulard Station. It's a converted gas station in the wedge where Gravoy and 12th Street meet. The Casilli Urn there says, uh, gee whiz, I'm sitting here and I don't have a plant in me or anything else. Hmm. When's the weather going to finally warm up? All the evergreens plotted or planted around really are a nice stark contrast to the snow. A sign explains exactly what this station was. And what it is is the city of St. Louis in the late 20s extended Gravoy, and they created a path for the historic Route 66. And also it added a green space to the city. And this was a Sinclair gas station. and It was built at that time. And now the building serves as a meeting destination. And uh, there are all kinds of other stuff. They really kind of decorate this you know, the whole building and all the landscape and everything, there was still some snowflakes hanging, waiting to be lit. I don't know if they're still lighting them or not, so it didn't seem like it. The water feature, which is on the west side of the building, usually it's running, but today it wasn't. All the deciduous trees and shrubs call out and say, winter, go away. We're tired of being naked. The clouds above are getting morning reddish tint to them. So that says it's time to go. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. Questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Cardinal Spring Training is underway. Hey, it's Chris Raby. We have all the action covered from Roger Dean Stadium and the Grapefruit League right here on KMOX. Hear my reports, mornings and afternoons, and Sports Open Live. Sponsored by American Eagle Credit Union, Wilkie Window and Door, and Norm's Bargain Barn. On your home for the best Cardinals coverage, KMOX. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head out to Washington County and see what's going on in Ken's yard. Hi, Ken. How are you? Yeah, good morning. Enjoy Hi. your show. Well, thank you. Uh, two quick questions and a comment, I guess. Uh, we have a lot of mulberry bushes, I guess, growing up in our flower gardens. How do we eliminate that without knocking off the birds? <laughs> well, but you... I'm a, since they're bushes and not the trees yet, because I mean I'm assuming they're relatively small. You can go out there and hand dig them, unless they're you know I mean so that's a, a way to do it without causing any problems from that standpoint. Okay, I've, I've been cutting them off, but they just keep coming back. Yeah, that you're wasting your time to do that. Yep. If you're going to cut them off, what you can do is get some Roundup for killing woody plants, and as soon as you make the cut, then take some Roundup and paint it right on the end of that cut, the area that you cut. Then, depending upon how big it is, you may have to do it a couple different times to finally kill the entire root system. Yep. Okay, thank you. 
question number two. I, I'm going to start. I want to start some garden seeds this spring, and I always have trouble with damping off. How do you prevent that? It's really difficult, to be honest with you. So it's you know it's related to the humidity and all those other factors. So if you got the mats and you're getting the seeds to germinate, you got the grow lights on them. That's about all you can really do. So the dampening off is just. I mean, it's a you know it's fungus. And there's, I mean, it's, it's really difficult. And also make sure that you're using a potting mix for starting seed because that will, you know, sort of eliminate maybe the moisture factor that may be causing you the problem. Hmm. Okay. Very good. Now, just a comment. Last week, someone called in and you recommended using crown vetch on a steep slope. Yes. Which is fine. Uh, I guess just one observation I've learned over the years that it gets a very thick mass, and you'll get rodents in there. Ah. So you have to be, uh, you either have to clip it off once in a while or something to uh, prevent that problem. Well, that's, that's thanks for the insight. Yep. Okay. All right. All right thanks, thanks, Ken. Ken. Thank you. Yes, folks, and uh, I hope this is the last day of winter that we actually, you know, this is not technically the last day of winter, but... Uh, we're still, you know, we still have a month plus of winter to go according to the calendar. But I'm getting a little tired of all these cold temperatures and everything else. But uh, I'm sure we all are. It's just and we get into a panic. Tracy and I were out yesterday and she needed to do a few things and I needed to do a few things. And uh, I'll tell you, when the the weather people come out and say we're going to you know, potentially have this much snow and this and everybody, I mean, all the stores were so jammed and, you know, crowded and I'm sure people were trying to get some stuff because they were worried that they were going to get snowed in like we did a couple of weeks ago when the snow got so deep. But this doesn't seem too bad. I don't mind the snow that comes, you know, and really shouldn't be entirely melted by the end of the day if it's going to get up into the upper 30s like the weather people are saying. So here I am condemning the weather people for saying we could get up to three inches, but then turning around and saying thank them for, you know, saying the temperatures are going to be a lot warmer today. And it's nice to see the sun for sure. We just, I mean, this winter has been so gray. It's been so horrible. And another thing, too, uh, you know, with Mardi Gras coming up real soon and Valentine's Day just passed, Tracy reminded me last night that when I had my epileptic seizure, the grand mal seizure, and I got put in the hospital in 1998, what happened was the fact that I was there and really within a couple days of each other, Valentine's Day and Mardi Gras. So she asked me if I remembered her bringing... Valentine's stuff and Mardi Gras stuff to the hospital because I had to stay in the hospital for several days until they made sure my brain was actually still there or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I kind of said, hmm, not really. So (laughs) sometimes 21 years can make a big difference on remembering your things. But, you know, in your own landscape, 21 years is not a big deal because, I mean, some of the trees that are growing and everything else – they're way over 21 years old, so and some of them are getting really huge. Some of the trees in Christie Park right across the street from us, they are really large. There's a white pine that it may be the largest white pine that I remember, you know, remember seeing. But we're having these really strong winds lately coming up from the southwest, 
and it is losing some major branches. So this tree is not going to be around too much longer. Another thing too, start heading out to your garden center and uh, just you know checking out. All the seeds are there. All the summer bulbs are there. So you can start some summer bulbs really pretty easy in your own basement or in your you know, wherever you want to do it, your screen porch, just so it doesn't get below freezing. And even with below freezing for the bulbs, if they're in a potting mix in a pot, I don't think it's going to get really damaging to them. But uh, you never know. So just kind of be somewhat cautious. But I mean, the array of some of the, you know, some of the seeds and some of the bulbs that are out right now is just unbelievable. So if nothing else, even if you don't want to make a purchase, certainly just take a look around and just see kind of what there is. Because it is just absolutely amazing what you know what there's you know what there is out there as far as the bulbs go, and there's the I mean there's a whole new variety of annuals, new you know new annuals that are coming out. Um, they're not out yet, but just kind of keep your eye open. Yes, you can certainly have your favorites and everything else, but realize that there may be something that you might want to try, something a little bit, de- you know, something a little bit more unique, something a little bit more unusual or something along that line. For if, you know, the ground is, I don't know if it's frozen or not because I haven't gone out and tried it yet, but I don't think it's really frozen. But if it's not frozen, what you can still do is do some deep root feeding of your trees and shrubs. And what that does is really feed your soil and then your soil and, you know, and turns around and then feeds your plant material. So the soil is really most important. And what this is, is you auger holes and you backfill these holes with compost. And then the compost is going to reignite your soil. So even if your soil is in fairly good shape and everything else, it really is beneficial to do this. Also, just start watching, you know, very, very closely for... You know, the winter weeds, they're still going to be out there. They're still spreading. They're still very ferocious and everything else. And uh, they're going to start flowering, and then they're going to start dropping seed. So those are the, those are the plants that actually germinated last August. They made it through the winter. They don't care if it gets down to below wind chills below zero or anything else. And then they just keep going along until the temperatures start to get warm. And then that's when the warm season weeds come. So just remember the warm season weeds, you know, if you want to get those under control, the annual weeds I'm talking about and some of the perennial weeds, if they're coming back from seed, you can get your pre-emergent, you know, go to your favorite garden center, get your pre-emergent, get it ready, understand how much, you know, how much square footage it's going to cover, how much you actually need. And then also uh, what you're going to do is wait until the yellow forsythia is in bloom, and that's when you're going to put your pre-emergent out. That's when the soil temperatures are getting right at 50 or right around 50, and that's what triggers a lot of the new seed growth. Uh, Also, if you want to start a new garden center or a new garden center, a new garden space in your landscape, get it all measured. Find out how much soil amendments you need because regardless of where you live, you're going to have to amend that soil, except maybe some of the areas in Florissant, and there obviously there's going to be some, you know, some other areas too. But taking care of amending the soil, getting the soil built up, getting the soil enriched before you go out and start purchasing plants, that you got to, you know, get this thing going logically because if you don't, it's going to make it really, really tough. This time of year, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more extensive. Lee, uh, and the tip of the trowel, uh, you know, at the top of the next hour. But uh, all your 
what I do is I start looking at, you know, the weather, of course. But when I start seeing more and more robins show up and when I start seeing morning doves show up, to me, that sort of indicates that maybe the worst part of winter is over. Because these birds go further south when we're having our severe winter, then they turn around and migrate and head back north for whatever reason. I don't know why they do this, but uh, I'm starting to see a lot of robins, you know, in our neighborhood and starting to see the morning doves as well. So it's nice to see that. To me, that certainly indicates that there is a lot of warm weather coming, I hope, because I'm really getting tired of it. Your houseplants, if they're pot-bound, you don't necessarily have to repot them. You don't have to put them in a bigger pot. It's not actually necessary to do, but if you choose to do it, just make sure that you don't get a pot that's too large and make sure that you get a potting mix, not potting soil for your plants. This, you know, maybe you got some great orchids, maybe you got something, another plant that's growing, maybe a cyclamen or whatever for a Valentine's present. So, present and just sit those in front of a nice bright window and the orchids generally they're going to always be ones that are growing in bark so in their native habitat they grow on the sides of trees and on dead stumps and things like that but uh, if they're bark what they're going to do is just wait until the you know every so often you don't have to do it a whole lot but just make sure the bark is slightly damp just once you water just take a look at the difference in the color of the bark and let the water drain out the bottom and then just put it in front of the window. And what I do is with the orchids I have, I just kind of watch the, the foliage on them. And when the foliage starts drooping a little bit, that's when I go ahead and water. And I do the same thing with the cyclamen I have. The cyclamen, when the foliage starts drooping, that's when I go ahead and water them. But I also look at the inside of the pot and make sure that the potting mix has shrunk away from the inside of the pot. Hopefully, you know, by the time you got up, if you haven't gotten up and, you know, did any driving or walking, but it was really slippery this morning. I was kind of surprised. Not areas where there wasn't, you know, like roads, but all the cars driving last night and everything else, though there was hardly any snow, it all packed down and it turned into ice. It was, I was shocked when I, you know, stepped out the door walked around, you know, I always like to walk on the road before I get in the car just to kind of see how things are when it's weather like this. And it was slippery. So it was, uh, I'm sure by now, maybe that's kind of gone away because I can't, you know, we're in the city. So when I look out, all the roads have been, you know, de-iced right now. But even just stepping out your back door, it might not be slippery, but just be really cautious when you step out. So... Tracy asked me yesterday if she wanted me to put if she if I wanted her to put out some deicer. I said no, I'll just be really careful. So, if you got any questions or concerns or comments, three one four four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Mike Miller back after these messages. What do these songs have in common? Just let me hear some of that rock and roll music. It's your- Oh, the proud, dirty bell to answer. All 
of these artists were from St. Louis. And this month, Ameren, Illinois, and KMOX salute the great achievements of St. Louis area African Americans who made the world a better place and inspire us today. For more, listen to me, Charlie Brennan, weekdays at 9 on KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Calling 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 will get you in line for your questions, comments, or concerns. Soil testing, this is the ideal time to get it done. Realize that soil fertility, so in other words, sort of all the micronutrients and macronutrients and everything else in your soil actually fluctuates through the growing season. And the availability of the nutrients in your soil is altered by fertilizers, compost, mulches, lime, sulfur, or anything else that you do it, as well as just the leaching process. So the snow, as it melts, even though this is not very much snow, it can actually leach some, leach some of the micronutrients out of your soil. Also, some plants really grow in a wide range of soil pHs, but a lot of them grow best in a kind of a narrow wedge, like uh, turf grasses, lawn. We figured all those years that people were coming and putting lime on everybody's lawn because they said, you need this to have a good lawn is probably not right, especially if they didn't get a soil test done. Because really, lawn does best in a slightly acidic soil. So neutral is 7.0. Above 7 is alkaline. So in other words, more limey. And below 7 is acidic. So in other words, more like vinegar. And lawn will grow probably in the best where it's like slightly below 7, so like 6.9 all the way down to in the low 6 points, whatever, it's 2s or 3s or something like that. So that is really important. And uh, it's, I mean, it makes a great difference on the ability of your lawn to handle this kind of crazy weather circumstance we have. Remember only a few days ago how warm it was and how cold it was this morning and everything else? So it's just, it's really, really important. How do you take a soil sample? Well, you can contact the University of Missouri uh, Extension Service. They have an office in Kirkwood. They'll tell you they may have a kit where you can go by and pick it up, or they can may, may be able to send you a kit, or there's private services as well. But, you know, a soil test is really just – it's extremely important because we're trying to do this guessing game and things – it's a really surprising where I go to somebody's house and they've been doing, let's say, something for years and years and years. And finally, they got a soil test done and they started realizing that, wow, we have extravagant levels of a couple of these, let's see, chemicals that are part of the fertilizers that we've been using, like phosphorus and potassium, last two major numbers. And it's because those type of chemicals stay in your soil for many, many, many years where like nitrogen just dissipates in a few days, but the phosphorus and potassium can just build up and build up and build up. Finally, it gets so high that it does some some damage as far as dehydrating soil, dehydrating root systems and everything else. So you think that by adding more fertilizer, it's going to be to the advantage of whatever type of plant it is, and really it turns around and really is to the detriment of your plant material. Also, you know, the height... This time of year, we're not cutting grass yet by any means, but just realize scalping your lawn, cutting it really short, is just it sets up a scenario where the weed circumstance has a great advantage of getting in there and really causing you some major problems. So let's go to Sparta, Illinois. And Marie, how are you today? Okay. 
I didn't get a chance to uh, cut back my uh, snowball bush and my pineys. Can I? When can I do that? The peonies, you can cut those back right now. I mean, just go and you can cut them really right down to the ground level. Now, if we're talking about uh, the hydrangeas, you don't necessarily need to cut them. But if you want to just cut off the brown spent flowers, you could certainly do that now as well. well how about my snowball bush? Is a snowball bush not a uh, hydrangea? It's a snowball bush, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm not exactly sure what a snowball bush is if it's not a hydrangea because that's the one that I always think of a hydrangea. Maybe that's what it is, and I just got mixed up. Okay, okay, thank you. Yeah. There's lots of different varieties of hydrangeas, and so oftentimes, you know, if it's, uh, you know, if it's a variety that blooms in the summer or in the springtime, like a PG hydrangea, if you cut it now, you know, unless you just cut the spent flowers off that are, you know, hanging on there from last year, you cut it down too low, you're cutting off the flowers. So that's what, you know, you got to be very cautious for anything that's spring blooming to not prune it this time of year because you're cutting off potentially flowers. It doesn't hurt the plant necessarily. It's just going to reduce the amount of flowers that you're going to have or the chance of flowering. That's a lot of the problems people have with hydrangeas in general is just the fact that they're pruning it out of sequence and consequently they're cutting off the flower buds and they wonder why it hasn't flowered, and it's because of the pruning. So if they're summer bloomers, you can prune them all the way up until the new growth starts this spring. But if, they were, if they're ones that bloom in the springtime, don't prune them at all. So thanks, Marie. Greatly appreciate it. If anybody else has any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. One of the other things, too, that's gonna is going to happen real soon is some of the problematic insects are going to start migrating up because the soils will start getting warmer. Just like that's what triggers the forsythia to be in bloom, which triggers, you know, putting down the pre-emergent. But as the soil warms up, things like grubs are deeper in the soil for the wintertime so they don't freeze, but they'll move up closer to the summer, <laughs> to the surface, I mean, as, as the temperatures of the soil rise. And then... Some of them are going to be really damaging, like the annual grub. There's five different grubs that are major grubs in this region. The annual grub is the one that does major, a lot of damage to only, for the most part, bluegrass lawns. And so as it gets up closer to the surface, then guess what? It's going to start eating your bluegrass lawn root systems. Also, one of the other grubs is a Japanese beetle, and it's larvae stage of the Japanese beetle. It's going to come up to the surface. They, don't, they, eat, they pretty much eat any kind of root system. And what they'll do is then they'll eat for a little bit and then they'll pupate. So in other words, kind of go through, they'll morph over and become an adult Japanese beetle. In the Japanese beetles, there are several plants that they do major damage to. One of them is the grapes. It's amazing how much damage they can do to the grapes. Some of the other ones are the crab apples, even the Rosa Sharon. You don't think of them doing damage, but these are just studies that have indicated that these are plants that the Japanese beetle you know, attack more than other type of plants. Japanese maple, Norway maple, horse chestnut, hollyhocks. Wow, hollyhocks. Hmm. The birch, some of the birch trees and Lots of other ones as well. So let's go right now to Ken, and Ken is in Ladue. Hi, Ken. Mike, how are you? Very good. Got uh, two questions. Number one, I've noticed before the snows come that uh, my Pachysandra, parts of it, is 
yellowing. And uh, obviously, I think I need some sort of amendment to counter that. So what would you suggest for that? Uh, basically, it may be just because of our weather as much as anything else. So Pacassandra is a little bit uh, you know, touchy. And also, age-wise, if it's really an old stand, you may just need to put some new plants in there. But the Pacassandra, because it is an evergreen and it, does, it tolerates shade very well, it likes an acidic soil. So if there's been a circumstance where, where, it's, being, you know, where it's growing, there could be some alkalinity gotten into it, either from runoff from de-icers or something like that. But I would, to be honest with you, Go ahead and for you know twenty or thirty dollars get a soil test done and find out what's actually going on as opposed to just trying to guess what you should do. Okay, second question, <clears throat> Zoysia lawn. What do you think about burning the brown straw zoysia in the late spring as as opposed to raking up the straw? <clears throat> well, I mean that's what everybody used to do. There's a lot of areas don't allow any burning anymore. I don't think there's probably any communities on this side of the river. Illinois people can still burn, you know do open burning like that. But uh, so you know early you can't really burn but what you can do is have your mowers set low and cut it as close as you possibly can before it starts you know greening and then just you know rake rake up those you know those blades but that's about all you can really do. Does burning uh, hurt the roots at all, do you think? No, it doesn't. It doesn't hurt the roots or it doesn't hurt the crown either. That's why everybody used to do it. And yeah. there was some advantages to it because of sort of the, the nutrients that are in even the brown blades would then be dropped back down into the soil and they could be driven into the soil you know, by rainwater and you know, things like that or irrigated water. But uh, it's just not something that's really, you know, you're able to do anymore. Oak to doke. Thanks very much. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. We've had a lot of cold weather this winter that has been crying about earlier. And uh, you might have a fireplace. And consequently, if you have a fireplace, then you probably have been in the colder weather burning wood. And those wood ashes, they don't necessarily help your, you know, to spread them into your landscape, your bed space or anything else uh, over your lawn. They don't help the soil structure at all. Chemically, wood ashes do have calcium, phosphorus, and potassium or potash. But again, before spreading any wood ashes, make sure that you get a soil test done because that phosphorus and potassium or potash those are the two things I was talking about in fertilizer. If you're using the same fertilizer over and over and over again, once we get extravagant levels of those two, you know, those two chemicals in your ground, it is really detrimental to basically all plant material. Not, I shouldn't say all, but the majority of plant material that we grow in our landscapes usually. Fairview Heights is where Cindy lives. Cindy, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? Very good. I'm having a problem with spider mites on my Alberta spruce. I've got three of them in my front yard, and they've already killed one in my backyard. But this has been going on for three years now, and I don't know what else to do. I get out there, and I spray them like maybe every other week with uh, that neem oil, 
And then I've also tried another uh, insecticide, especially made for spider mites. But I can tell, I mean, they're getting ahead of me again, and I just, I don't know how to deal with them. Well, there shouldn't be any spider mite activity this time of year. There's none out there now. I don't know, but my my evergreens look like they're starting to turn browner. Well, to me, it's more weather-related than it is related to the spider mites. Oh, I think so. So are you sure you had spider mites? Yes, I've taken a piece of paper out. And then shaken, and you saw all the spider mites running around on the piece of paper? I did, yeah. Yeah. So you may have spider mites, but, you know, this time of year... They, I mean, I'm not saying the damage couldn't be related to that, but they're not doing any kind of damage during the winter time at all. None. Okay. So if if they're browning, it could be wind chills. It could be a lot of things, or it could be a residual effect of what the spider mites did last year when the weather was warm, because that's when they're at more at their peak of activity, and then consequently now it's showing up because of the let's say the harsh weather that we've had this winter. Okay. So you've used miticides, you use neem oil and everything else, and I'm assuming you're spraying, you're pulling the branches apart, you know, of your arborvitae and shooting it to the inside and everything else too. What I've been doing is just like poking the wand through my branches into the trunk. Okay, and you're spraying, so, you're spraying all the, let's say, the needles that the arborvitae has on the outside too. Correct? Yes. Okay. Oh, yes. That's the first thing I do, and then. I take my uh, that little wand, whatever it is, and mm-hmm. I poke it through uh, through the branches to try to get inside. But should I be pulling those branches apart and getting in on the places where there's no green leaves? Uh, not probably not because the spider mites they could be in there, but they got to basically stay where there's something for them to eat. And on the interior of the arborvitae, there's nothing green there, so there's nothing there for them to suck on. So that's what they do, and that's why you know your let's say your foliage of any plant that has spider mite problems is you know it loses its color because they suck out all its let's say ability to make chlorophyll. So you're seeing uh-huh. little, you're seeing the spider mites, you're seeing the webs and everything else. The webs, yes. Right. Wow. Yeah. You're doing everything think- you possibly can. Another option is just you know, routinely go out there and put a nozzle on the end of your hose and just hose your uh-huh. you know, arborvitae down because physically you okay. can knock the spider mites off. Okay. Yeah, I've read somewhere where you can also spray, you know, with water, just, you just have to keep doing it all the right. time. Right, routinely. My problem. Right. Uh, and basically so. when the weather starts warming up, that's when the spider mite activity starts happening. So we're talking okay. like, uh, oh, you know, who knows? It's hard to put calendar dates on it. But yeah. like in the 1st of May all the way up until mid-September. So that's when the major amount of spider mite damage is being done. Okay. I just got to get ahead of them this year and, and keep <laughs> at it. I don't know what else Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, you're doing everything you should. I mean, you're using all the chemicals and reality that are recommended for that particular thing. I know. I feel like I'm fighting a losing battle. Right. One other option if you want to try something is when the weather starts warming up, go to your favorite garden center and get a horticultural oil. Now, a dormant oil yeah. you could be spraying this time of year, but a horticultural oil, that's going to be a little bit more effective against the spider mites because that's when they're going to be out and they suffocate the spider mites. So that's not the same as neem oil? No, it's not. It's oh, a, okay. It's a different okay. product. 
Okay. I'll do that. I'm going to try that then. Thank right. you very much. Certainly. Thanks. <laughs> Let's go now to Cedar Hill and into Brian's yard. Hi, Brian. Hi, Mike. How are you doing on this sunny day? Very good. Thank goodness for the sun. Yes, I have a question for you. We just purchased a new house in Cedar Hill. Um, our, we're getting ready to close on our old house. And uh, when my mom died in 2003, I dug up some peonies from her house and took them to our house that we're getting ready to close on. And my question is, can I dig those up now and transplant them to the new house in Cedar Hill? Because they meant a lot to her, and I want to take them with us. Sure. Um, should I put them outside or put them in pots and put them in the garage? Uh, I wouldn't put them in the garage. If the ground's not frozen, you can dig them. So just, you know, you understand how big the root systems are and everything else. Yeah. yeah. So I would say if you can't get there because the ground is frozen and dig them up right now, I would just put a sort of a, you know, ask the people who buy your house if you, you know, tell them that you need to come back and get these plant materials out of there. Okay. So I appreciate it. You could do it now, but uh, just be real careful. If the ground's frozen, you could really do some major damage. And you know the, excuse me, <coughs> the peony root systems are very brittle when you first, you know, pop them up out of the ground. So let them mm-hmm. sit, you know, out in the open, not in the open, but let them sit not in the ground or in a pot or anything else for a day or two till the root systems will get supple. And then that way okay. they'll be able to acclimate to the new location much better. Okay. So after they acclimate, just go ahead and put them in the ground if the ground's not frozen? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Appreciate it, sir. Well, thank you, and good luck with that. Yeah, I mean, the peonies, my parents had some that came from my great-grandmother's, excuse me, hmm, my great-grandmother's uh, you know, property down in southwest Missouri. We brought some of them back up into St. Louis. They, my parents had them on the side of their house for years, and I believe one of my brothers you know, finally you know, dug them up when my parents passed away and the house had to be sold, so... There's, I mean, peonies are seem to be one of the plants that are really sort of like passed on, you know, baton wise, and they're very, you know, very sentimental. These were pretty good ones too because they didn't elongate enough where the flowers were so huge. So in other words, they weren't ones that were grown for cut flowers. That's why they, a lot of times the stems get so long and the flowers are so heavy they start bending over. So peonies are really kind of a neat thing. And uh, so good luck with, you know, getting that taken care of. If anybody else does have any questions or concerns, we've got another hour of the Garden Hotline. So 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I'll see you after the news. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to the Garden Hotline tip of the trial hour, and I'll be giving that shortly. But right now, you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. Mr. Kelly, before you take off, yes, I've got, you know, you said you were going to expand your garden areas yeah, with yeah. more flowers. Mm-hmm. I've got some historic castor bean seeds. It was castor bean seeds that I got from the old Bush Stadium that they used to have growing outside. Really? So yeah. I can share some of those with you if you'd like. Okay. Will they, will they grow a giant beanstalk? They get some of the, yeah, they will get, uh, well, it's not necessarily a beanstalk. Oh, but, uh, I was going to climb. <laughs> 
<laughs> like Jack and the like Beanstalk. Jack. Yes. <laughs> and also, I have some. Uh, do you have any arbors or trellises or si- or fences or anything? Uh, yeah, yeah. They're in I, the I sun. Get some. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What I can do is give you some uh, hyacinth bean seeds as well. Okay. It's a vine, so those yeah. are vine. I can give you some castor bean seeds. I'll bring them in and. You know, a couple of weeks or so, you All can right. plant them. We'll do our best to keep them alive. Yes. All right. Thank you. They're just annuals. And uh, like I said, the Cardinals used to grow them outside of Bush Stadium. Really? Yeah. The, the old Bush Stadium? The old Bush Stadium. Not the oh. one up in, on Grand. No, but the, no. But the yeah. one down, the, the, the round one. Yes, Bush exactly. 2. <laughs> right. Wow, that's cool. Well, thank you. Yeah. And the other one we got, uh, there's a winery up by Clarksville. So yeah. I just sort of happened to go and pull some of this. <laughs> Seed mm, pods down. For research. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I'll bring some in for you. Just... Well, thank you, sir. Appreciate yeah. it. All right. Yes, folks. And by the way, thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selections, cares for, ups and downs and all arounds of annuals, of bulbs, edibles, ground covers, house plants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I like sharing my thoughts, but remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered to you to you know, sort of con- you know, consider. And Greg Harvey is across the board. He's the one that's answering the phone, producing today. And during the week, I do something I call a walk and talk. It's a landscape consultation. If you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk to evaluate situations, whether it's aesthetic, problem solving, or anything else, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, the homepage where my email address is and phone number. You can contact me and we'll set up a time where I can come out to your home. And uh, the tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual, group, or a situation that's made an impression on me. And it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trial goes out, first of all, Tracy and I were at the at a Snooks, Snooks in Hampton Village. And we were there right at 4 o'clock yesterday, and it was really brutal as far as cold goes. So a tip of the trial goes out to two different Girl Scout troops Troop 714 and Troop 235, they were there to sell Girl Scout cookies, and they were outside, so they weren't able to be inside the store. I guess that's kind of how the whole deal works, but I mean, it was cold, and they were just getting everything all set up, and I thought, boy, oh, boy, and Tracy, always, she buys, you know, Girl Scout cookies, and so that was great that they were there, but we really felt sorry for them because it was only 4 o'clock, so they still had four more hours. I don't know if they split up the four hours with the two different troops, the Troop 714 or Troop 235, but that was going to be a tough time standing out there because at 4, even though it was gray and sunny or snowing and everything else, when the temp, you know, when the time gets a little bit later and the sun really goes down, it was going to get colder and colder and colder for those Girl Scouts. So those Girl Scouts deserve a tip of the trowel. And again, they were outside of the Hampton Village Snooks. And also, uh, tip of the trowel goes out to this is from Brightside, St. Louis. This weekend, it started actually on Friday. February 15th to the 18th, which is actually Monday, there's an annual citizen science project. And it was it started in 1988. And there's over 160,000 people worldwide that participate in this. And what this is called is the Great Backyard Bird Counting. So what it is, is they have you, 
you know, you can get the app, you can, you know, have it drop, you know, get the app. What you do is go into your own backyard and you count the birds for about 15 or 20 minutes on what birds there were and how many they, you know, how many were there. And what you can do is you can go to the website. The website is GBBC. So in other words, that means Great Backyard Bird Count dot birdcount dot org. So if you're interested in taking a look at this, it's really kind of interesting. You can enter a photo contest if you can take some pictures of some of the birds that are in your backyard. Also, there's some posters that you can purchase as well. But the, again, the website for this great backyard bird count is gbbc.birdcount.org. So they get a tip of the trial for all the people across the world, 160,000 people count birds. And it's, it's really kind of wild and crazy. We haven't actually started doing it ourselves. I just found out about it through Brightside St. Louis. They sent out a you know, monthly newsletter or not even maybe a little bit more frequent than that. But uh, I'd never really even heard of it before. So that's really kind of a cool thing. So we're going to start doing it probably maybe not this year, but we will start next year. So that's tip of the trial of Girl Scouts and birds. What could be cooler than that? And uh, let's get one call in before we go to break. Let's go to Bob in South City. Bob, how are you? I'm doing fine, and you? Very good. My wife is curious as to what you would say as to what tomato plants you would prefer in the St. Louis area based on the yield that they give. Well, personally, I don't like necessarily big tomatoes. So my, you know, my opinion is going to be I like small grape tomatoes, personally. I just, you know, the big ones, but, you know, any of them variety-wise, you know, the better boys, you know, better girls, all that other stuff is fine. Just whatever variety you get, you should, there should be about three or four initials after the name. So, in other words, those initials represent various diseases that, you know, tomatoes are affected by. Right. So, so as long as they have that, I think it's a personal, you know, personal choice. I don't like the bigger tomatoes because they're just too, there's too much moisture, well, she's wanting them for canning. She wants to can tomatoes. Uh, then I would say the Roma. Okay. R-O-M-A. Right. right. And they, they produce only one big batch of tomatoes. They don't produce all season long or anything else. Okay. Very good. Thank you very much. Certainly. Thank you, Bob, for calling. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. We'll be back after these messages. The only way you can take KMOX with you is with the Radio.com app. Download it today and listen to us anytime, anywhere. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go. And if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Headed out to Eureka, and we're going into Sue's yard. Hi, Sue. Hi. Hi. Um, I have a son who lives uh, with a snowbird, and um, and I've sent things like uh, starts like elephant ears and a few of the of the annuals that I I grow and have success with, and kind of die off here in the winter time. I've sent starts down with him, and they don't seem to do very well. Uh, do they do? Do annuals have a? I mean, are they annuals down there, <laughs> down there too? No, not at all. They're year round. So, 
Okay, so anything that we would have growing here, like the elephant ears and all, they should be growing year-round down there? Right, whether it's cannas, whether it's elephant ears, whether it's calla lilies, all that stuff that you know has to go through the more or less winter dormancy or else it's just going to freeze yeah. uh, year-round. You go to Florida and you see elephant ears all over the place. Hmm. Okay. So okay. it must just be something that, that he's doing, uh, you know, if he's not, maybe he's, he doesn't take care of them the same way you do or the necessary yeah. type things. I mean, the uh-huh. watering and all that stuff because of the weather and every th- other factors. I mean, you have to be a little bit more diligent with, you know, where the climate yeah. is as it is. But even the little annuals that we buy and the little packs plant in the summer and, and go away in the fall, those will grow perpetually down there? Uh, a lot of them will. Not, I mean, all of them... With any plant, they have a life, you know, a length yeah. of time. So whether it's a, mm-hmm. a giant sequoia tree along the California coast or anything else. But, yeah, for the most part, you should get, a, you know, multiple seasons out of them. Okay. So, in other words, not just, you know, multiple years before they finally just kind of, let's say, give up because they're too old. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, we wondered about that. Thanks, Mike. Sure. Yeah, I mean, you have to cut them back. You have to fertilize them. You have to keep, you know, keep them, you know, healthy and everything else. But beyond that, they should be able to do fine. Now, let's go to Ellisville, my hometown, after my parents moved from the city of St. Louis, uh, into Richard's yard. Hi, Richard. Hi, Mike. Hi. Hey, I got some real good news about all this bad winter weather we've been having. Great. Hey, the, all these snowstorms that keep coming, my 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 snow peas and my outside garden, oh man, they have really they are loving all this snow. <laughs> and this freezing and this freezing weather, oh man, the iceberg lettuce has just really been producing a bumper crop. And not to mention the winter squash, of course, I never picked so many of them. <laughs> That's the end of my report, Mike. Well, great. Well, thanks for the update from Ellisville. Ellisville is a very unique place. <laughs> thanks, Richard. <laughs> yeah, and uh, let's go now and talk with Madonna, and she lives in Oakville. Hi, Madonna. Good morning to you. Hi. Um, I've had this lemon mire uh, tree for the last six or seven years. I don't know what the problem is this year, but the tips of the leaves are brown, and they're crinkling up. Now I this don't know is if it's too cold down in the basement or what? It could be. I mean, that could be a factor. But is it all the leaves, or is it just new leaves, or is it older leaves? Older leaves. Uh, maybe just it's time for them to be drop, you know, to drop off. So it may be just a natural aging of those particular leaves. If it's not the new leaves, there's still good growth, you know, and everything else. I wouldn't be overly concerned with it. Don't think I have a lack of humidity around the plant? Or? No, I, I don't think that's really the case. Basements, yeah, they're cooler. I mean, that's where my I have my offices in the basement. So you go down X amount of steps, and in the final four steps, you can just tell the temperature is starting to drop quickly. But it never gets, you know, all that cold, and those, you know, the Meyer lemon tree can handle the coolness of the basement just, and you've probably put it down there for, uh, you know, several years. So the, it's used to the amount of light it gets and everything else. So I would say it's just those particular leaves because the lemons, you know, those trees are evergreens, but still just like with the pines or the magnolias or things that are evergreen here, some of the older leaves are just going to drop off just because they're old. 
So mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's what's happening. Um, I wanted to share something with you. You're talking about birds. I have 11 bluebirds. I have blue jays, but I have 11 bluebirds. Whoa. And they like, they like the freeze-dried mealworms. Right. But the problem is the starlings come and eat their food, so you have to be on a constant watch <laughs> that the bluebirds are getting fed. And, and so I just was reading my bird book last night, and it said to get rid of starlings. Do not, the beak, their beak, they can't take in uh, black oil sunflower. So I have tons of black oil sunflower, but I, I don't know a trick to keep them away from the mealworms. Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, because mm. yeah, I don't know what you know that myself, but uh, you might go to the Audubon Society, their website, and see if they've got some kind of insight. Yeah, I don't like starlings myself. I mean, I hate to be snotty. I shouldn't say snotty, but I shouldn't <laughs> snobby about it. But uh, yeah, they don't. I uh, don't really care for them. There's always too many of them. They're always in big gangs. And whenever they come, they can really do like what's happening to you, devastate some of the, you know some of the food factors. Like and then the, you know the sunflower seed that you spoke of, the black oil sunflower, they can't eat, but they'll go after anything else, any kind of soot, anything. Well, the shape of their beaks, the book said, they can't actually crack the outer shell of the sunflower. Ah, seed. that's kind of interesting. Yes, but anyway, well. Spring's coming. We all know that. Yes. Thank goodness. Thanks, Madonna. And good luck with that. And uh, wow. I mean, if you have that many bluebirds, we don't have bluebirds, you know, in our yard at all. We've got a lot of slate-sided juncos. We've got a lot of the blue jays. And as I said in the first hour, the robins are starting to show back up and the morning doves. Those are the probably the main birds we and cardinals. We have quite a few cardinals. We've got males and females both. So that's ones that dominate our neighborhood. Campsville, Illinois, that's where Lou lives. Hi, Lou. Hello. Hi. Uh, I have a bird story first. I've had three beautiful pairs of cardinals and numerous juncos, one robin so far. Great. Uh, a friend of mine was out looking to see if her crocuses were up yesterday, and they weren't, but the daffodils were two inches tall. You're kidding. Uh, yeah. And uh, and then they got down that way, hardened. They got a snow, and we didn't get it up here. Ah. Uh, but my cousin down the road, they have early old-fashioned daffodils, and they're kind of popping up because they're on the south hillside. Right. Front yard. The other phenomenon is, you know, the Illinois River's a waterfowl flyway. And I'm coming across the river east of Campsville yesterday to get on the ferry, and there were thousands of geese floating aimlessly up in the sky uh they're so confused because it was warmed <laughs> the day before and now here they are and some of them paddling along the river and uh i and then there was a few you know when they come in in the v-shape they're called gaggles right and there, there was a few of those coming in i guess to congregate with the others but they looked like they were a mixture of white and the gray and they were just just drifting floating around over that field east of the ferry, and uh, I bet there was a thousand of them. Oh, my goodness. So I'm thinking that, you know, the, the nice day came, and here we go north, and, well, let's <laughs> change our mind here. We, what are we going to do, you know? Right. Yeah, they head north, you know, when the weather gets warmer, too warm for them, and then, like I said, the morning doves and the robins, you know, come from the south up up to us. So it's amazing, that migration-type thing. 
Well, I have a lot of robins in the summertime. I have some pine trees that are 30-some years old. Ooh. They're not real good anymore, the red pine, but the robins sure uh, come in here and make nests in them. But the doggone blue jays, and I think starlings, go in and tend to destroy them sometimes. Yeah, the blue jays are really... We've got a lot of blue jays in our neighborhood, and you can just tell where they're hanging out because all of a sudden... You know, you hear them in a couple trees, and then a couple days later you go out, you know, a few weeks from now, you used to see a bunch of robin eggs on the ground. That's where they've come in and, you know, yeah. did some damage. The complete nest on the ground. Yes, too, right. Tear down. So, yeah, that I have, that's every year. So, but anyway, uh, uh, since my, I don't have any cats anymore, so I've got lots more birds than I had. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and I get the flocks of the goldfinches when they come through. And then the bluebirds, too. I get those as they travel. Some of them hang around, of course. Here, a lot of people have bluebird homes. Right. Houses. So, But anyway, the, the geese phenomenon was something else yesterday. I don't think I've ever seen that many. That's great. I mean, it's just it's really neat to kind of see the transition and to have a great appreciation as you do of just seeing something like that. Yeah, it's a, it was I that was a bunch. And of course going down the road, there's a flooded place where they have the in the waterfowl waterway and there's a lot of strictly way over far across there because they drain it, they seed it, they flood it and the white ones were over as far as you could see just like a half mile of them. Wow. So, and then pretty soon we'll have the pelicans coming through. Right. They, they start coming too now. Well, so great. Anyway, that, that's the update from here. All right. Sounds perfect. Thanks, Lou. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments about birds or anything else, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Related to birds in my neighborhood, the only thing I, you know, the gentleman mentioned that he doesn't have any cats anymore, so he has more birds. We have quite a few feral cats, and, you know, I put out orange peelings because cats don't like the smell of citrus, and that does help deter them. It's not only they, you know, sort of keep the bird count down, but also they sort of use the yard as more or less so where they go to the bathroom. So, I mean, which really aggravates me. But anyway, let's go to Robert, and Robert lives in West County. Robert, how are you? Hey, doing great, Mike. Thanks for uh, your service. We all appreciate it. Great. Well, Uh, thanks for having me on your show. Okay. Uh, Maple Lane greetings also to you. Ah. Um, (laughs) So... Uh, I lost a tree a few weeks back when we had all that really, really high wind. Mm-hmm. It was an older tree, a uh, flowering crab, uh, kind of on its way out anyway. But uh, putting something back in its place, um, I'm not I'm not concerned about having to dig a few roots if I have to. But uh, what do you think um, and what time? Uh, you can start, you can plant as soon as the garden centers have them available. But I would not necessarily plant right in the same location because even though you can dig up the major roots close in, but the feeder roots are going to be on the perimeter. So, in other words, slightly beyond the drip line of you know the, the tree that got knocked over. And so mm-hmm. those roots will still, still keep absorbing you know, nutrients and moisture and other things, even though 
you know, they don't have any place to send them to make chlorophyll or food or anything. So that would be the only detrimental thing. If you put it too close to where the other tree was, some of these feeder roots could, you know, kind of impact the new root systems of the tree you've recently planted. All right. All right. Good stuff. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Yeah, great. And it's, you know, for root systems to entirely implode and die off, depending upon the tree, but any, it could be any place between three to five and up to seven years for some of the larger, older, well-established tree. So just understand that each year the impact of the roots from the existing tree that is no longer there, uh, it's, you know, their input or intake of nutrients and moisture is going to be less and less and less. It's still going to have a detrimental impact. So good luck with that, Robert. And now let's go to Glendale. And Laura, how are you? Hello, Laura. I guess she's asleep. (laughs) I'm sorry. This show is so boring. It put Laura to sleep. Nancy lives in South County. Nancy, how are you? I'm fine, and I'm awake. All right. And full of questions. Um, (laughs) My first problem is a a tulip bed that I was very careful uh, measuring everything, the depth and so forth, and those little suckers are coming up. And I mean, the whole bulb is coming out of the ground. Whoa. Yeah. And I tried pushing them back in with my fingers, but the ground is like glue. Uh, what can I do, if anything? Uh, not too much, to be honest. I've never heard. If you planted them like four or six inches deep. Yeah. And I, I even had a ruler. Yeah. You're kidding. And the no, bulb is up, or it's, it's just not the tip of the leaf, right? No, it's the whole darn bulb. Wow. Yeah. There's no animals around that I know of. You know, I, I don't know who to blame it for, you know. <laughs> the only thing that could pop them up would be, you know, the, our crazy weather with this freeze-thaw cycle. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so, but, I mean, to migrate them up that far, usually what happens is you plant them, and then they start, you know, pushing out a root system, and that kind of keeps them in place. So mm-hmm. why these are, you know, why these have come up, I've, you know, I've never really seen that or even heard of it before. Where well, they were properly planted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I would say I don't know if there's anything you can do at all. Yeah, I guess I will just let nature take its way. Right, and you may get you, – my guess is you're probably not going to get anything out of them, but uh, yeah. you can bring all your friends over and say, look, at I'm growing <laughs> tulips. It's like I'm in Holland, and I'm going to start yeah. my own tulip farm. Yeah, oh, my. I had another comment about uh, birds. Sure. Um, uh, years ago, uh, I used uh, crushed eggshells to try to uh, disturb the uh, slugs around my hosta, mm-hmm. and I found that the blue jays loved them. So since then, I've been uh, saving my eggshells and taking them outside when I get a bunch and crush them all up, and they disappear. Uh, they let me know when I'm out of out of <laughs> eggshells, too. So <laughs> I thought I'd pass this around. It's a cheap way of pleasing, and I thought... Maybe this would keep them from robbing the other birds' nests if they had some calcium. Well, that might be true. Yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate your show, and I thank you very much. Well, thank you, and thanks for calling in, because if you weren't there, I would not be here. So thanks, Nancy, and uh, great stories, too. Justin is in O'Fallon, Missouri. Hi, Justin. Hey, it's a pleasure to be on the show this morning. Uh, Long-time listener, first-time caller. So, great. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. So I uh, had a, a relative pass away uh, recently, and in lieu of flowers, some of uh, my work colleagues actually gave me a, a honey locust tree to, to plant at one of our properties, uh, big, big hunting family and everything. And 
great thought, beautiful gift, uh, but now I don't know what to do with it since it's in the middle of winter. So I have a, a honey locust tree, basically just the, you know, the three foot long tree right. wrapped up in burlap, but don't know what to do with it in the meantime before I'm able to plant it. So I would, any- yeah, I would probably go to, if you don't have any black plastic pots, since it's just a seedling or more or less or sapling, uh, probably a one gallon pot should be adequate. And I would just get some potting mix for starting plants, even though these are not seeds or anything else. And I would plant it in a pot. And I would probably grow it in a pot for maybe a year or so, just so you know that it's starting to get a root system. It's leafing out, you know, correctly and properly. Then I would think about planting it in the, out, you know, in the let's say in the landscape someplace or in, you know, wherever it happens to be. But grow it in a pot for a full year someplace, you know, around your house so you can kind of monitor and, you know, watch it closely you know, make sure it doesn't go through any drought stress or anything like that. So put it, put it like outside on the back deck or put it like in the, the living room? <laughs> Not in the living room. Back deck is, you know, would be perfect. <laughs> I don't know if they would survive in the, you know, in the living room. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a hardy tree. So the honey locust is a great tree and they're native. So that's perfect. But just grow it in the pot so you can make sure it's, you know, okay. Taken off. Sounds good. Really appreciate your time today and uh, love your show. Well, great. Well, thanks for having me on your show. And let's go to Webster Groves and into Terry's yard. Hi, Terry. Hello. How you doing, Mike? Very good. Good. Hey, we got an area in our yard where the grass just does not grow well. And it's it's gets a lot of shade. I mean, it's a mixture of shade and sun, uh, but the bluegrass has never grown. We have an area that has zoysia that does very well, so I'm wondering if I should get some plugs from there and put it there or put down fescue or what, what would you recommend? Uh, you're never really going to have great success growing, you know, lawn in a shaded area. Even if uh, you think there's enough adequate sun, there are some types of seed called shady spot mixes. That might be the best thing to try, but the zoysia won't work very, it won't do well at all in that situation. And especially oh, really? if the bluegrass is not doing well, the zoysia has even a less chance of doing, you know, working well. So go and get some seed for shady spots and just, you know, you might have to end up putting seed out every September and every May and uh, to keep it thick, but you're really never going to have all that great of seed. All right. All right. Very good. Well, thanks for the information. You saved me a lot of time. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, also, the, I don't know how big the area is, but if you can kind of core aerate it a little bit, that would certainly be helpful rather than just throwing the seed on top of the ground. But if you you know decide you don't want to core aerate and you do put the seed down, get some compost and put about a half inch of compost on top of the seed. That will help it. So, All right. Very good. Well, thanks for the information. Sure. Now let's go back out to O'Fallon, Missouri and into Ron's yard. Hi, Ron. Uh, good morning, Mike. How are you? Very good. Uh, got some newly laid sod. Back in the summer, uh, it got well established. Just wondering uh, what I should be doing for it in preparation for spring to keep a nice, green, healthy lawn. Did you put a winterizer-type fertilizer on it at all? Didn't do anything to it. I would probably go to your garden center and get, even though this is kind of late in the season, get a winterizer-type fertilizer and put it on there so you can give it, you know, give it a little bit of boost while it's still winter time. And uh, probably then after that. I don't if it's well established and it looks good, you go out there and you try to lift up the pieces and they're well rooted, then I would think about core aeration. So in other words, that's a machine, separate machine, pulls plugs out of the ground. Do that 
and then put some compost on top of the ground as well. Oh, compost, huh? Yeah. Okay. So, the, yeah, the, what happens after you aerate, then the compost falls down into the holes, and then that fe- you know helps the soil, then the soil will help your sod. Okay. Very good. Great. Thank you. Good luck with that. Yeah, and uh, if you had good luck with the sod, then just watch it. If it's a bluegrass or a fescue sod, usually if it's a fescue sod, it's going to have a certain amount of bluegrass in it because fescues, grasses are clump growers, and the sod pieces don't, you know, they don't stick together like real sod. That's why they always mix some bluegrass in with the fescue sod pieces while they're growing it. So. Good luck, Ron, and Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Hey folks, Chris Gerber here, and the St. Louis Blues open up a weekend of back-to-back afternoon games today in Colorado. They face off against the Colorado Avalanche with a pregame show at 1.30, and the puck drops at 2 o'clock right here on your home for St. Louis Blues Hockey, KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go, and Mick lives in Fenton. Hi, Mick. Good morning, sir. How are you? Very good. Truly appreciate your wealth of knowledge. It's great listening to you. I love it, love it, love it. So a couple years ago, I called you about an ash tree we have in our backyard, and we had some floors at that time. We got someone out to look at them, said, no problem, tree's good, we're good to go. Now, my question this year is, those ash trees, this ash tree, like off of the main limbs of the tree, shoots twigs, for lack of a better word, straight up. Not out, but straight up. Will it hurt the tree to cut those straight off twigs? No, as long as the end of the branch is branching like it normally, or I mean, leafing out like it normally should, that should be fine. So they usually that sucker growth that happens, it's sort of an indication that maybe there's, you know, something wrong. But if the tree looks overall healthy and everything else, then uh, I would say definitely get them cut off. Okay. Will do. All right. And, uh, um, you know, I mentioned, I heard you mention to a gentleman a few minutes ago about shady grass. You know, under that ash tree, we have a real hard time getting any grass to right. grow. And um, you'll, you'll never well, get raising- Will raising the canopy help at all? No. It's not necessarily just the amount of sunlight the tree, the ground is getting slash your lawn would be getting. It's the root systems, and the closer, if the tree's large, up close to the trunk, it's almost solid wood underneath the ground. And, you know, that whole thing underneath the tree is a huge system of roots, and there's got to be an equal amount of biomass below the ground as there is for the tree above the ground, or else the thing would be top-heavy and fall over. So you're just competing. It's the main competition with the tree roots more so than the sun factor. Gotcha. So what do, what do we do? Mulch it? Rock it? You could mulch it. You could rock it. You could use traditional-type ground covers like ivies or periwinkles or something along that line or a combination of some of them that will stay evergreen year-round and in combination with some that go dormant during the wintertime like a, you know snow on the mountain or something along that line. So you can do a couple different things, but you know, going with a traditional-type ground cover that's tolerant of the shade, you think, well, if lawn can't survive, how do these ground covers survive? They have this, sort of this way of working their way into the ground. Don't put too much, you know, don't put a whole lot up close to the trunk. Stay a couple feet away and let it migrate towards the tree. 
But uh, that's going to be probably your best chance of having any vegetation there at all. Okay. I appreciate the, the knowledge. Thanks, sir. Certainly. Now let's go to Judy. And Judy lives in Ellisville, again, my hometown. Hi, Judy. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I'm calling to uh, brag a little bit. I got my two-year-old poinsettia to bloom this year. All right. I I brought it in in the fall with my other house plants, put it in a south-facing bedroom, shut the door uh, in the evening before it got dark, and opened it up in the morning, and it's doing great. I I wanted to share that with people. Well, that's perfect. It's great. I mean, nothing is better than success because, I mean, we have to realize that a lot of plants that we're trying to grow are not necessarily from this specific environment, especially something like a poinsettias, which is from the tropical parts of Mexico. And to have success with it here, I mean, you do deserve a pat on the back. Thank you. I enjoy your show. And I never miss it. Well, thank you. And again, thanks for having me on your show. I greatly appreciate it. And, yeah. That's all I have. Well, thanks, Judy. Greatly appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. And is this Laura in Glendale? (laughs) Beep, 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 beep. Beep, 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 beep. Hi, Laura. That is embarrassing. I'll tell you what. We thought you were joking. No, no. I, I was. I've been up very early this morning, and I guess just laying there listening to your voice put me right to sleep. So, in other words, my show is too boring. <laughs> oh no. Well, anyway. I called last week, and um, I didn't get on, and I have this seedling tree that I got from um, Aldi's last year. It's a Japanese maple, and, mm-hmm. it's, and it's doing okay, but I can't tell if it's doing – well, the leaves started curling up. Then I thought, well, maybe I'm not watering it enough. So I started giving it a shot of water like every other day. Well, come to find out, it was, um, what do you call it? Um, the bottom of the pot, it was, it was draining, but the pot, the pot I had it inside of, it what? was getting fuller and fuller and fuller. Even though the top of the plant was hot, uh, dry, the bottom of it, was soaking. Yes. Right. So then I just took it out of that pot, and so I haven't touched it since, and I want to know what to do. <laughs> do I need to change the soil? Do I need to just give it plant food? Or I wouldn't. Don't fertilize it. You know, just wait and, you know, leave it alone just as it is and wait until the growing season starts and make sure that it's going to leaf out and everything else. But other than that, that's all you really need to do right now. Okay. So All no right. fertilizer. Don't put it in a different pod. Don't replant it. Don't do anything. All right. I won't do anything. <laughs> and it's a it's a I Japanese. It's water then. Yeah. Well, just uh, you know, it's. I mean, it's a hardy plant, so you can actually take it outside as soon as the weather gets a little bit better, and just put it out there and let the rain come down. That should be adequate. And uh, you know, as long as you have drainage holes in the pot, that should be all you need to do. 
Okay. Okay. And then if it looks like it's leafing out and it's fine, what I would do is I would dig a hole in the ground in a garden space and drop the pot down into a hole for a couple years until you make sure that it's still healthy and going to be vibrant and then kind of go from that. All right. Okay. All right, that sounds great. All right. Thank you so much for getting me on. I appreciate it. Sure, Laura, thanks. And thanks to everybody for calling in. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, hopefully this is the last snow we'll see, and hopefully this is the last really cold weather we'll see. So let's all keep our fingers crossed. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I hope to see you again next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.